Ashley. All right, let's get started. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, for giving us a life of other saints and for um, teaching us through them. And I pray that you would just use the life of John Newton as a um, as an example, as uh, an encouragement to us, God, that your grace um, holds on to us and guides us throughout our entire lives, God. So we um, we give this the next few minutes to you, God, and uh, we just, we ask that your uh, spirit would move through the teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, cool. All right, so have you guys heard of John Newton? Yes. All right. So uh, what, what do you guys know about this guy? <laughs> he wrote Amazing Grace. I'm sorry? He wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace. Grace. Cool. So, like, this is, so this is, uh, this is going to be kind of like the theme of our lesson today. So, Grace. Um, so, I'm also going to, like, point out our, our church name, Delible. Wow. Grace. Makes sense. So, do you guys know what indelible means? That cannot be delicious. erased. Yeah, it can be erased, right? So, the, uh, delicious. <laughs> so, like, kind of the, Im- the image that is taken from reverse in Isaiah, right? So, it says that, like, I'm still looking painting. Uh, so, it, it, it says, like, God, our names are written on God's hands. And um, the verse says that that the, we, our, our marks are sort of like our, our uh, names are like marked on the hands of God. So what happens is they can't be erased. So this is where we get our name, indelible grace. And I want to connect it to the life of John Newton, and we will see that his life is actually um, kind of uh, his life is not so much different from ours, even though his his dramatic his testimony might be like a little bit drama- more dramatic than other people's. But um, we'll see that the grace that was uh, guiding John Newton is the same grace for us now. So um, so what we're going to do is we have a few songs. I'm actually going to play the songs for you. We're going to play three songs through uh, through the lesson. So um, we'll do that. In- we'll have the songs interspersed. And then I'll talk about a little bit about the theology behind the songs. So, all right. So, um Here's this quote. Uh, Dan, can you read this quote by Daniel at the very top? I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I was. All right, cool. So this was... This theme kept on popping up in John Newton's life. So he, he, he kept on seeing like what his life was. And there are times when it just was not how it should have been. And he knew that it wasn't ever during this life I'm ever going to be what it was supposed to be but um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes so he was born in 1725 um, his uh, his father was actually uh, not a Christian but his mother was and she prayed for him and she actually prayed that he would become a preacher one day um, so he, she uh, over the first six seven years of his life he he learned like the the, uh, the shorter catechism um, he like learned Bible stories so he, he kind of had like a some knowledge of of the Bible and of the Christian faith when he was when he was uh, growing up as a child. When he was 11 years old, 1736, he began sailing on ships with his father. And these are not just ordinary ships; these were slave ships. So this is his introduction to the slave trade. And um, he went. I think uh, he went on like maybe four or five or six journeys with his father, just sailing, sailing. Uh, 
around the world, like picking up slaves, dropping them off, selling them. And you can imagine just like what kind of what this does to a kid. You know, like these are such formative years, and he watched people being treated like animals, and he just value the the value of human life was just. Um, completely minimized in his eyes growing up. So this sort of set the stage for a lot of his thinking later on. Um, in 1739, he, uh, he, uh, he, he started reading the Bible again, and um, there was like maybe a few people like that on the periphery that kind of pointed him towards the Christian faith again. So he started reading the Bible a lot. He became really uh, interested in the faith, and this is actually, uh, like, you know, like, he became one of those, like, weird Christians, you know? One of those, uh, Christians that, that are annoying, and, um, there's always, like, quoting, quoting Bible verses, and he was, uh, and he, uh, oh, there's cheats for you right there. He was all, always, um, uh, like, if he saw that there's something bad or immoral going on, he just shun it, and he'd, like, judge the people that are participating in it. So, this lasted about two years. And, um, Ashley, can I have you read this quote from him, uh, 1739? Uh, I endeavored to renounce society that I might avoid temptation, but it was a poor religion, so, so far as it prevailed, only tended to make me gloomy, stupid, unsociable, and useless. All right, cool. So he brings up this, this idea of religion, and what his faith was, was it was religion. It was legalism in his life, and what this did is it made him miserable, and if we, if you guys have ever, like, maybe yourself or myself or if you know friends that, they, you know, they're really religious, but they're not happy about it, they just do all these things and they, they're kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grin and bear it, and um, this is how my life will work. Um, but what he saw was that, you know, over the course of these two years, he was really religious, but it made him, made him miserable as well. Um, so, 1742... He became, um, oh, so, like, um, during this time, like, he was, like, still involved in the slave trade, interesting, um, and he still sailed ships, um, but, um, after his, uh, after his, um, religious fervor, he went, like, straight back into his old ways, and, uh, he was, he was, you know, like, on, on a, on a ship, um, there are these sailors, and they're all, like, they have this reputation for being, like, really rough and tumble, they're very crude, they're very vulgar, um, now imagine that these guys on a slave ship where people are dehumanized. Um, so all that is amplified with just the, the nature of the ship. And they said they said that John Newton in his autobiography, he said he was the worst of the worst. He was literally the worst. Everyone on the ships hated him because he was so bad. So this was so he was just like headlong into sin um, after his religious fervor, and he was like, yeah, I'm just going for. I'm going to drink. I'm going to participate in like. All these like terrible things. So that's exactly what he did. Um, Seventeen forty-two. He's still a teenage uh, teenager at this point. Um, so he's a bad person. He meets a gal when he's seventeen years old. He meets a thirteen-year-old girl. Her name is Mary Catlett, and he says at this time that um, he he never met anyone so beautiful. She she completely captured his attention, and from the, from the day when he met her to for the rest of his life every he says every single hour she was on my mind there was not one moment that she was not he was not uh, thinking about her so but they didn't like uh when he was when he was uh sailing the ocean he uh he he said that it was because he loved her so much that that was the only thing that was restraining him from 
committing even worse sin. Oh, come on in. What's up? We got some, uh... She's right here. Can you have a chair? Uh, right up here. What's your name? Um, Alvin. Alvin and... David. David. Wade. Good to meet you. Alvin and David. Have you guys heard of John Newton before? So, um, so this is so he's he's 17 years old. He's just he's got this girl that he loves. In 1742, this was a turning point in his life. So he had the dream. This is what he calls the dream. And in this dream, there was he he said that there was a he was standing on a ship, um, and someone came up to him and he said, "Like, I'm giving you this ring, and as long as you hold on to it." Your life will be happy, you'll experience joy, um, but if you lose it, if you lose it, um, all this joy that you have, all the satisfaction that you have is going to disappear. So, th- that w- so that was the first phase of the dream. The second phase of the dream was this. There was someone that came along and they said, he said, um, um, just, he, he, he's tempted him, drop the ring into the sea, drop the ring into the sea. And he says in the dream, he dropped the ring into the sea. And uh, so the, at, at the moment the ring touched the sea floor, he said he could see the hills of Venice, of Italy, behind him, completely aflame, set on fire. And he felt this terror in his heart. And then again, the, uh, the, the guy that gave him the ring, he, he, he found the ring, and then he gave the ring back to John Newton, and he said, all right, um, I can give you this ring again, but I'm not sure if I can trust you with it. And uh, but he says I'm going to give this to you, and um, when you put it, when you when you hold it, this ring, you're going to have this joy and peace again. So, uh, so as soon as he grabbed the ring from this guy, the the flames of uh, of the hills they they died, and um, he didn't know exactly. Like, so that was the end of the dream. He didn't know what this dream meant, but then he looks at this dream later on in his life, and he says this was symbolic of my life. God gave me something that would bring me joy and satisfaction, and I threw it away, um, and I experienced complete misery. And uh, but then again, the Lord brought it back through His grace. He gave him this thing and it brought him peace, which was um, life through the gospel. So, um, really interesting though. This dream was a pivotal moment in his life. But what does he do? He goes back to selling slaves, and he goes back to his old <coughs> drunken ways. Interesting. Um, and he says this, he says, I love sin and I was unwilling to forsake it. So, um, so he, he just, he experienced this, this is, so notice he's had three phases of sort of, um, the Christian faith, some type of impression on him, right? There was the, there was the, um, when he's growing up as a child, there was this time, um, in his mid to late teens when he just had this huge religious fervor and then, um, again, uh, this pivotal dream, which he never forgot for the rest of his life, but still, his life didn't change. He still was going going his old ways. So, um, so that's what he says. He he just loves sin so much that he, he was unwilling to to um, get rid of it. So, um, with that, I'm going to um, play a song for you guys. And if you guys turn to page two, you will see. Um, uh, it's, it's a song that he wrote. So in his life, he's he's uh, he's known as a guy who wrote Amazing Grace, right? But he wrote a. Uh, we talked about William Cooper 
a few weeks ago, and um, William Cooper and, and John Newton they wrote a they they together they compiled a list of hy- or a, a huge book of hymns. Um, John Newton wrote about three hundred of these hymns, and a lot of them we still sing today. We actually at uh, IGC we sing a few of his songs: "Let Us Love and Sing in Wonder." That's one of his, a John Newton song. "The Lord Will Provide." That's a John Newton song. "Amazing Grace," of course. John Newton. Um, there's a whole bunch of other songs um, that he's wrote, and I'm going to introduce you guys to a few of them. You might have heard these before. These are these songs are on the Indelible Grace um, albums and also um, the Red Mountain Music albums. So let me find that. Did he write this at this time? I'm sorry? No, he didn't. Actually, all this stuff he wrote later on. So it's really interesting. I'll talk a little bit more about like um, the timing of his songs. But uh, um, yeah, so... It, this this he wrote like way later. Um, he was still he was still doing his old stuff. So this is a song called "Begone Unbelief." It's about five minutes. So um, just listen to the words. And I have some.
so that's a song um, that he wrote along with a whole bunch of others. It was published in the uh, late 1700s. Um, so I just want to point out a, f- a few things here. Um, there are a couple songs that this guy didn't, a couple of verses in this song that this guy didn't sing, but um, I included them because they speak so much of what happened in John Newton's life. He says, His love in times past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. He's looking back in his life and he's going, Remember those times when I was a total blasphemer. Remember those times when I was stuck in sin and I had no desire to leave. He says, um, God never left me at that at that point. When God um, when God chose me to be His child, He knew what I was going to go through. He let me go through those things, but at no point did He let me go. And he says, um, determined to save, He watched over my path, even when He was in a slave trade. When Satan's blind slave, I sported to death. And can he have taught me to trust in his name? And thus far have brought me to put me to shame. Um, the last line. Here's this theme that runs through so many of the songs. He says, God has brought me thus far. And there's another song that kind of echoes this as well. The Lord has brought me to this point. It's Amazing Grace. The last verse of Amazing Grace that we sing is, God and his grace has never let me go, even in the worst of my sin. So um, so we'll go do a couple more songs, but um, let's continue on. So 1744, he goes to uh, visit the, um, this girl that he fell in love with. Um, he, goes to the, he goes to his parents, and his parents are like, uh, no. And then uh, he talks to Mary, and Mary goes, um, yeah, you know, like, kind of, maybe. You know, like, you know how girls are, they're like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of leave the guy hanging. Um, so that's how he felt. So he was completely in love with this girl, but he was just rejected by him. So he felt complete despair. And what he does is he, um, he, uh, he, he goes, he, this, oh, he, this week he was on, on break from, uh, from his, um, sailing duties. Um, he, he's so, so heartbroken that he just decides, you know, I'm not going to go back to the ship. Um, so he spends like just a couple days roaming around, I don't know, wallowing in his heartbreak. When he finally gets back to his ship, he comes late um, and the captain, he sees that this guy was disobedient. I'm going to make an example of him. So I'm going to, he beat him with a, with a whip and the whole ship watched him. He was court-martialed. He was, uh, completely humiliated. So, um, at this point, um, uh, he's, you know, he's heartbroken. He is in despair. He's been humiliated. No one likes him to begin with. They like him even less now. Um, in the in the late 1740s, he was um, he was moved to another ship, and uh, and this is uh, the captain of that ship. He actually brought him to Sierra Leone, and in this place, um, he was at, he be, he himself became a slave. So oh, how the tables have turned! He this guy that was selling slaves, he himself became a slave to the captain of the ship, and the ship's the the captain's wife. She hated him, so um, she made his life miserable. And his life got so bad that the actual slaves would bring him food because he felt so bad for him. So he was in a terrible place. Um, and then one day, um, a ship came that was uh, was headed towards Sierra Leone, and and um, they, they 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 and the ship came because they saw some smoke, so they decided to check it out. <coughs> and by chance, the people that were on that ship knew who John Newton's father was. So they took pity on John Newton and they took him aboard. So it's just weird. Like, like in in all the seas, this one ship happened to pass by and they happened to spot the smoke on on uh, from, from land where John Newton was. 
And it just happened by chance that these guys knew John Newton's father. So it's really weird, right? It's kind of a, I'm not sure that's coincidence. Um, so he's back on the slave ship. And again, he is, he didn't learn his lesson. He was still sinning. Um, Ashley, can I have you read this quote by him? Uh, late 1740s. I have never met so daring a blasphemer, not content with common oaths, I daily invented new ones, so that even the captain, who was not a Christian, rebuked me. All right. So um, he was terrible. Uh, That's all there was to it. He was a really bad guy. Um, In 1748, he he would there there was a terrible storm and um, and people were like thrown off board. People died, and he spent the entire night in the hull of the ship just. Um, bailing out water and, and doing whatever he ca- he could to to save the boat, and he experienced such terror that he cried out to God, this God that he knew in his childhood, and he says um, this was another turning point for him. And then for the rest of his life, he looked at this date in 1748. I think it was like March 1748. I mean, I might be wrong. Um, he called it the day of humiliation and deliverance, and um, he always looked back to this day as to when God really grabbed a hold of him. So I have this long quote here. I'm going to just um, read part of it. Um, I acknowledge at the very bottom, or the third to last uh, line from uh, right here, I acknowledge the Lord's mercy in pardoning my past, but depended chiefly upon my resolution to do better for the time to come. For I had no Christian friend or minister to advise me. I did not hear evangelical preaching or conversion for six years. So he talks about this time when he... This, this one day when he um, really realized, you know, something like, my, I need to be right with God. Um, but even at this point, he says, he says um, there, there weren't very many Christian friends to, to, to pay attention to him or to teach him. Um, and he says for six years, he didn't hear any type of preaching. He wasn't fed the word. So even though this was a turning point, it was still not, there was still a long way for this guy to go. So, um, 1749, he goes back to slave trading, and he goes back to mistreating people, and he goes back to drinking and cursing and participating in terrible things. It's so weird, right? Like, you know, he's had multiple experiences. He's had multiple times when he came face-to-face with God, and he goes back to his old ways. But I think, if you guys think about it, how often does that happen to us, Right? How many times do we turn our back on God? How many times do we just experience the mercy of God? And you might go to conference, you might hear a great message, you might have a great time of uh, t- by yourself in the Word, and you're like, yes, things are going to change. And a month later, everything's back to how it was before. This is how it was for John Newton, but we just see in his life, so, it was the contrast <clears throat> between the two was so extreme that um, I think, but I think he serves as such a good example for us. We're like this as well, right? We can, like, like when I was reading this, I was like, oh, John Newton, he's, he's a jerk, dude. He, like, had so many second chances, and he blew them. And um, I go, wait a minute, that's, like, kind of like me. So, um, so 1749, he goes back to sailing. 1750, he finally gets to marry, uh, marry his, marry Mary. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, he goes back to the slave trade. Um, Tom, can I have you read this, um, what he said in 1750? <clears throat> yeah, alas, I rest in the gift and forgot the giver. My poor, narrow heart was satisfied. The cold and careless frame 
as his spiritual things took place. Yeah. So he's saying, like, yeah, like, for this whole time he was completely smitten by Mary. And he says, you know, it made him happy in this small, little, narrow place in his heart. But he knew that that was not the end of it. There was more. So, um, <clears throat> so he went on five or six more voyages on slave ships. And he continued to do his old, old thing again. 1754, he had a seizure um, on the sli- on the on the um, on one of the ships, and then this is when he really woke up to what was going on. So, um, so he quit the slave trade finally at that point, and he started preparing for ministry. And have you guys heard of George Whitfield? He was uh, he was the kind of the premier preacher in England at that time. So, he said during his time for six years, he went to he he went to um, listen to George Whitfield. So he probably heard him like hundreds of times. And people actually called him Little Whitfield because they saw him. He was at every George Whitfield meeting. So he learned a lot under the preaching of George Whitfield. I'm going to play you another song. Um, it's called um, No Sweeter Subject. And um, you're going to, when you listen to these, listen to the words, you're going to find a little... Um, um, there's a line in here that kind of echoes Amazing Grace, so uh, you can look for that. Oh. 
Uh, any thoughts on this song? Do you guys see like a, a theme that's in the song? Grace. Mm-hmm. Grace, yeah. <clears throat> John Newton loved to write about grace because this was what brought him far. And this, like, th- th- there's a, like, a few lines in here that just so speak of what his life was. He says, um, um, the, right in the middle, the third line, grace reigns to pardon crim- crimson sins to melt the hardest hearts. And from the work it once begins, it never once departs. The work of God began um, from the very start of John Newton's life, and even in those times of extreme sin, the hand of God never left John Newton. And he says, um, uh, actually, there are all these, I kind of talk about it. Um, twas, the last line, "'Twas grace that called our souls at first. By grace thus far we've come, and grace will help us through the worst and lead us safely home." This is, again, we have this imagery of the hand of God, the grace of God leading John Newton to where he needs to go. So this was a constant theme in his life. Um, so he loved Jesus for so many reasons, especially because he never let go of John Newton. I think um, just reading the lyrics, listening to the song, and uh, considering his life, it is so encouraging because we're not even saved by the eloquence and cleanness of our conversion. Mm-hmm. Right? So often our conversion is so messy. Yeah. And um, so... Um, we fail God even in the way we convert. It's yeah. not it's not a pretty conversion. You mm-hmm. know? It's a stumbling, and uh, even then God pursues us yeah. and chases after us and brings us back. To yeah, God. that's really comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like the, the kind of testimony that we think is uh, the ideal testimony is like, oh, like I was a drug dealer and I killed like thirteen people before I became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I stopped drinking a and I stopped. Break, right? Yeah, yeah like. I had no issues whatsoever. Like, my life changed at that point. Um, but I'm like, you know, like, I love those stories because I, I really think that God works in those ways. But then um, I think for the vast majority of Christians, it's, you know, I became a Christian, but things didn't change. And my heart was still cold, and I still was stuck in sin. And this is the reality <coughs> of the Christian life. And we're actually going to, the last song I'm going to play for you guys speaks of this, is there, there is no clean break. Um, not in this life, at least. So I, I hope that's an encouragement to us. You know, like, I know that I, if you're, like, kind of like a human being, you're, you're going to be struggling with sin for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> I've got my own sins I struggle with. I think that you guys might as well. Um, that struggle is not going to end, but God's grace will carry us through that. So It makes us realize that all of life is a conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like I converted, yeah. and now, you know, I'm a Christian, and yeah. I'm here triumphantly, but... You're continually, in a way, converting, right? Or maybe a more be- a more biblical way to put it is you're continually rediscovering the, the gospel, mm. believing the gospel. Yeah, yeah, good. And I, I hope, yeah, I really do hope it's an encouragement to you guys. Like, it's just um, if, like, for us, like, our sin should not keep us away from the church or from each other. And if we are friends that have kind of like turned their back, you know, God may still be working in their life, and He may be using us as a tool to bring them back to Himself. I'm sorry to keep going on this, but I'm wondering if, like, you know, because I know so many people who do get discouraged because they think they converted, mm-hmm. or they think they became a Christian, and then they experience an episode in their life where they live so blatantly not as a Christian, and then they say, well, I must not have 
really converted or I must not really be a Christian and then they stop, they give mm-hmm. up, they get discouraged. And uh, maybe it's because they have a really a flawed understanding of what it means to be a Christian. You're not really, it's not that you convert and now you're, you're living this moral life, but you're always depending on God's grace. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wish like we could teach people it isn't a clean break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it, and it's so true. Like this is life, and actually, um, one of the main reasons why I chose to um, cover the life of Johnny <coughs> today was because uh, in two weeks we're going to start our series on the doctrines of grace, the tulip, you know, the five points of Calvinism. Um, John Johnny was just—he was a staunch Calvinist. Like he knew, like in, in his own experience, like he knew that if—I mean, like, he didn't like you don't have to call it Calvinism, but like he knew that if God's grace were not true, if God, if there was no such thing as total depravity and unconditional election and limited atonement and, like, um, irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, if he didn't know that those things were true, he would have no hope. So we're going to cover the things that gave, the doctrines that gave John Newton hope was, and he said, you know, like, I actually, like, I um, I have a friend and and um, she, she said, you know, like, like, she didn't know these terms, like, of, like, the five points of Calvinism, but then when I explained them to her, she was like, oh, yeah, I believe that. I'm like, but you didn't study them before. She's like, how can you say that? She's like, oh, because I know from my own life. If God, if it were not for God working in my life, I would be in an alley right now, dead, or I might be like, you know, who knows? Um, so I think our own life speaks to the truth of the doctrines of grace. We don't have to call it Calvinism. I think it's just biblical, you know, just, it's, it's, this is how God works. And thank God that, 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 he never leaves us, even when we mess up really bad, right? So um, I'm going to go through the rest of this really quickly. Um, so um, in 1764, he was ordained as a uh, ordained, and he served at a church in Olney in England. And uh, here's the thing: he, there's a quote from a guy. He basically said um, John Newton wasn't a good preacher, and he says for his entire life he was not a good preacher, which is really weird because he had such a great way with words, but then. Maybe he just didn't have his sermon prepped down, or maybe he didn't understand, like, just, like, um, you know, rhetoric, oratory, or homiletics, or stuff like that. But he says he was pretty much a bad preacher for his entire <laughs> ministry. Um, uh, 1767, this is when he begins. That's encouraging for us, right? I know. <laughs> like, like, Tim Keller says, like, your first thousand sermons are going to be bad. For John Newton. Thousand. <laughs> for John Newton, like, every single, ser- every single sermon was bad. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm gonna play this song for you guys. Can we? Like, do you guys have four minutes? Okay. This song is, has been such an encouragement to me. Um, let me give me thirty seconds. So um, he begins. Uh, he eventually moved to 1770, or he w- went to London to do ministry. 1780. He finally publicly expressed regret for what he did as a slave trader. Wow, finally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Up until this point, he never expressed regret for his slave trade. Really weird, right? This is like 20 plus years after he, he quit uh, the slave trade. Um, and then he died in 1807. Um, I'm going to play this one final song for you guys and then I'll let you guys go. Um, but this song speaks of, you know, it, it, it basically talks about the reality that we're going to mess up all the time. I'm going to comment on it for 30 seconds and then I'll let you guys go, okay? So let's listen to this song. It's four minutes long. It's a... Uh, Last page.
um, let me just comment on this song really quick. And uh, I, ho- I really hope that it, it really just gives life to us. John Newton, he says, um, he, he says, like, he realizes in his, in his heart, he realized that he was constantly singing. And he begged God to just set him free from that sin. He begged God that he wouldn't sin anymore. And he says, what did God tell him? He says, no, you're going to continue in that sin. And through your sin, through your weakness, I'm going to teach you that you have no other hope but me. And he says here, he says, um, um, these inward trials I employ, the last line, from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou may seek thy all in me. The reason why God lets us sin is so that we would know that we can't save ourselves. And our sinfulness should be a reminder that we shouldn't try harder. It shouldn't be a reminder that we should set more resolutions for ourselves. It should tell us that we turn back to God, the one who gives us grace to forgive us and grace to continue on in our life. So um, I just, more than anything today, I just want to encourage you guys, um, you will sin, and there are going to be times when that sin, like like he says here, it's going to feel like hell is assaulting every part of you. And the, the temptations are going to be that strong. And we're going to give in to those temptations. But the truth of the gospel is that even though we do that, God not only loves us, but he gives us the strength to carry on beyond those. And there will be one day when we're not going to have to deal with sin anymore. When we will we'll be able to look at God with clean, pure, clear eyes. But until that time, he gives us grace here on earth. All right? So let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for um, just people from the past that you've used to encourage us, God. And I pray that the words of John Newton, the hymns that we listen to would encourage us, God. And we praise you for your grace. And we um, we want more of it, God. We, we ask for hearts that are sensitive to it, God. And we give ourselves to you. And as we continue to worship you as a family in the next room, um, I pray that you would continue to work. So we praise you. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys want to listen to these songs, uh, I can let you borrow the CDs. They're on Amazon or iTunes. It's Red Mountain Music and Indelible Grace Music. The end.